0: Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose, who
1: protects our crops.
2: The God of sacrifice.
0: The God who walked on the face of the earth. He who walks behind the rose. He who walks behind the rose. He who walks behind the rose. God does speak to me in my dreams. And God has told me that it is now our time to make sacrifice. Time to kill.
1: Welcome to Now Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series. It is written, a leader will come from the corn. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King movie review series. I offer this to he who walks behind the robes. Hosted by Stuart. This is my game. I've played it before and on better courts than yours. Jacob
3: He thought he had great spirit
1: and Arnie
2: Question me not Malachi I act according to his will
1: Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review based on the works of Stephen King I've read the book and for the first time in my life I know my purpose This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language Did your mother teach you how to talk like that? Only when
2: your
3: name came up
1: Listener discretion is advised. The time of judgment is now at hand. Let the harvest begin.
0: Outlander! We have your podcast! Children of the Corn 2009 edition, starring Daniel Newman, David Anders, Candice McClure, Preston Bailey, directed by Donald P. Borchers. I'm back. Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing. Stewart in LA. And this is he who podcasts behind the rose, Jacob. So we have good news and bad news. The good news? This is a reboot. We are not going to try to continue anything. Isaac is returning, but not as an old man. The bad news? This did premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> <laughs>
2: never an encouraging sign. But when I found out that it was made by the producer as a way of atoning for the first film, that he wanted to make right what he saw as the sins of his youth and make a proper corn film that honored Stephen King, I stood up to attention. I was intrigued.
0: Yeah, I got to hear a lot about this. The Children of the Corn Blu-ray that I watched for our original review, the original 80's children of the corn he was talking about it how he didn't have the budget he wanted and he's lived with these mistakes and he was in the process of trying to get a retelling he doesn't want to call this a remake but a retelling of the children of the corn off the ground. He was hoping for theatrical. He even reached out to Stephen King because King had done an original script for children of the corn back in the eighties. He wanted to bring King back on board, either as a writer or a consultant. Now the way it came off in the interview, it may sound harsher than it is, but King's lawyer responded and said, King wants nothing to do with this or any other children of the corn project.
2: (laughs) See, he saw that
3: part seven too
2: <laughs> i imagine him running out of his mansion and getting hit by a train now
0: <laughs> but this started with a pretty high aspiration i mean we say that it's sci-fi but what this really is is an anchor bay production the people who brought a silent night and you know when you're have a film and you're looking for distribution into theaters and it doesn't happen and sci-fi offers to pick up the tab in order to premiere your movie there well that's not usually a good sign as necropolis can attest but (laughs) that is what happened here is they were hoping for theatrical they ended up having a heavily edited for television version and then a short time later a dvd and blu-ray release which was unedited this is my first time seeing it in the home video format, the home video cut. But I'm like you, Stuart. I had high hopes, and I was watching this live on sci-fi the night it aired. This could be the first film in which I actually give
2: a green arrow. All the Children of the Corn films, yes, even that first quote-unquote classic, I think are bad films. They are red arrows to me. But I've had some fun. There has been some that have some merit to it. But going back, trying to honor Stephen King, and restarting, this could work. I am forgetting the fact that it's Anchor Bay. I'm forgetting the fact that it's Sci-Fi Channel. And I'm just hoping that this man means it when he says that he made a mistake in his youth. He was a young producer. And now he knows how to fix it. There was potential to that first one. I gave it a kernel. And now we'll see if it can grow into a field.
3: I'm shocked. I had no idea. The story behind this. I didn't know it was the guy from the first one returning. I did know it was sci fi, and that's always a warning sign. I'll preview it's better than I would have thought for a sci fi. Like, it didn't have those standard tropes that I would expect. So,
0: no flying sharks and Tara Reed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, uh, we'll get more into it, but can we come back? Can we fix that really boring crap in the middle yes. of the first film? That's what I want to know.
2: There it is. To be clear, it was the producer of the original film,
0: not the director. The director's not coming back, and I think that's probably a good thing, too. Yeah, but the producer decided he's a director for this one, which that put a little bit of a warning bell. If the producer wanted to produce a good film, all right. But at this point, he had directed 1989's Grave Secrets and 2001's Perfect Film. which I've not seen either of those I don't know what
2: those even are but
0: (laughs) people come up almost every
2: director has embarrassing starts that's really not a blemish the fact that I saw Stephen King's name on this screenplay sent a different message he is co-credited Warchers put his name on it but he also put Stephen King's name on it and well we'll see I remember the short story we'll see if they get closer this time Arnie why don't you give him the plot and we can get into the
0: tweaks of this reboot It's 1975. Yes, we're watching a period piece. And dysfunctional couple Vicky and her Vietnam veteran husband Bert are having an argument-filled drive cross-country. Because a little tip to our now playing listeners, if your marriage is on the rocks, getting in the pressure cooker of a road trip, perfect solution every
3: time. (laughs) Yeah, especially pre-ipod era or Walkman era where you got to listen to each other.
2: I know. Can they just make Vicky like the new like OnStar or Siri or something? I want to take directions (laughs) from that bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Bert takes his eyes off the road for a second and doesn't see the bloody child stumble out of the corn and Bert hits him with the car. Bert's war experience shows him the boy didn't die of the car crash, but his throat was slit. So, arguing all the way, they take the body into the nearest town, Gatlin. They find the town to be deserted, and all the calendars are pointing to September 1963, when the children of Gatlin came together and killed the parents. These children worship he who walks behind the rose, a god who was old when the Christian god was created. Each year, when the children turn 19, they walk into the corn and are sacrificed to this god. The children are led by Isaac, a prophet who receives messages from He Who Walks Behind the Rose, and the corn god said the children would be tested by two outlanders, and the newcomers must be killed. (laughs) The children surround their car and kill Vicky, and Bert runs into the corn where he starts to have flashbacks to Nom and he kills many of the children before he is eventually taken out by he who walks behind the rose. But the corn god is mad that the children couldn't kill Bert themselves, so he lowers the age of sacrifice from 19 to 18, and in a post credit scene, we see Isaac's right-hand man Malachi, who was 18, walking into the corn to be sacrificed as credits roll. Kind of the same kind of different, I found myself thinking a lot of Disciples of the Crow, lest listeners forget our real first Children of the corner review done many moons ago, <laughs> back as our first Night Shift review when we did the $3 baby adaptations.
2: Yes, they did hear what I thought they should have done in the first movie. They leave it with a ellipse. We get a prologue where the children start to conspire, but the only killing we see is that they get a pig and stab it. We don't know... Or we wouldn't know, I should say, if we hadn't seen seven movies already, what they were really up to and what they were capable of based on the way that it jumps from the prologue in September 1963 to 12 years later, September 1975. I thought this was an interesting choice.
3: Yeah, you know, as much as I like that opening slaughter scene in the original film, I don't know, I like the vibe that this one gave off, especially in this 1963 scene with the child preaching and this pig being slaughtered. It's a creepy. it's not the gore it's not the blood but there is a tone and a mood to it that's unsettling.
2: We understand what the cult is about. I mean, they directly make it clear, and I don't think it ever has been, adult sin, and that causes drought and dead crops, and so that's why the kids are going to do everything that they're doing. They're trying to grow crops into drought and please a God that hates adults. I'll tell you what the biggest sin is, though. What is up with his little cowboy
0: outfit? Why is the leader dressed like that? I am actually really I'm really glad when we jump forward 12 years because I did not like this original leader. First, I think they tried to hide it, but I'm pretty sure he's wearing braces. (laughs) Second, his outfit. And third, I'm like, sir, I know Isaac. You are no Isaac. And it turns out, no, he's not Isaac. Whoever this kid is is probably dead by the time we reach the bulk of the film. Well, do the math. If it's been 12
2: years, he probably is at least six, right? So he would be being sacrificed this year uh, if he's not dead already. Yeah, he would have recently perished if he had lived to the uh, age that Hubie allows. And I thought maybe it was him coming out into the fields and into the road. I think that would have made sense if we saw this preacher as a teenager now with his throat slit trying to get away.
0: But it's not him. It's... They have two names for him, Joseph or Ahaz. Yes, they change his name when he becomes a betrayer. And I was thinking of the first one where we had the kid trying to run away and we got to see the backstory. Here, we're really following the Stephen King short story. I went back and reread it again after watching this movie. It is almost verbatim adapted to the screen here. The prologue is added, but this kid running out, the venom between Bert and Vicky in the car, some of the lines they say are Line for line, out of King's story. Some of them, not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them.
3: This Bert and Vicky, man, and I'm going to put the blame on Vicky. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be sexist, but whoever wrote this character, she is toxic. It is painful to have to listen to her and watch her in this film. I don't know what motivates her. I don't know why she's so pissed off at Bert, but she does not shut up the entire time she's on screen.
2: Yeah, the problem is she's a hateful character, and we've had plenty of those. I mean, my God, I didn't think I could hate a wife more than I hated Connie in Maximum Overdrive. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Curtis! But yeah, the problem here is I don't know what she does like. She doesn't drive. She doesn't navigate. She doesn't like her husband. She doesn't want to be alone. She doesn't want to be polite. I honestly, what could satisfy her? I mean, she is the most shrill, miserable character I've ever confronted in a King work. And that's saying a lot because he's pinned an awful lot of boorish simpleton characters. And this is a shock, too, because this is a returning King alumni. This is Candace McClure of Carrie 2002. That was Sue. Nice old Sue has
0: become a real bitch in
2: the seven (laughs) years since
0: the Carrie TV movie. Well, you know, when your friend burns down the school, that can kind of happen. Yeah. Yeah, Candace McClure... When this came on, I had forgotten she was in that Carrie TV movie, but I was a Battlestar Galactica fan. She was on that show. I knew this was on TV because of the tie from Battlestar Galactica and seeing ads for this during BSG. So I was excited to see her in this movie. And then during these opening scenes, man, it is caustic. And you guys are saying she's nagging and hideous and everything. I mean, not ugly uh, physically, but emotionally. And I agree, but Bert's not really any better. I mean, he comes off slightly better. I feel this way about the way the short story is written as well, is both characters are bad. We kind of side with Bert because he lives a little longer and he does a bit more.
3: He keeps his mouth shut, is my feeling. Yeah. If he's as toxic, we don't know it he's silent
0: he doesn't match her in anger
2: he's not yelling at her and it's weird because he's the battle veteran that should have ptsd i mean he should be the one that's yelling at her but what we find out is that she hasn't never forgiven him for signing up for a second tour to Nam. that he would rather be fighting in vietnam than be home with her we never know why that is
3: Yeah, look how she is. I'd go to Dom too. Give me a third tour. (laughs) I think it might be more pleasurable.
2: Yeah, no, seriously. At some point, she literally screams that he was over there cutting off gook tits to make moccasins. (laughs) I mean, Mike, that's immediate grounds for divorce, right? Like if you say that, like the judge goes, okay, you're divorced, (laughs) annulled, like instantly. There's no need to do any paperwork. You are no longer legally married if you're going to accuse them of making tit moccasins.
0: Of course, her worst sin comes, I can take them fighting in the car, and no matter what she says, sometimes you get angry, sometimes you say things you don't mean, (laughs) sometimes you slander an entire ethnicity in order to get at your husband, okay... (laughs) But he runs over that kid because they're arguing. And my God, this was not like this on the Sci-Fi Channel. This is a brutal, brutal car hit. Not only does the kid hit the front of the car and break in half. I mean, his body stays together, but it clearly bones have broken. They then run over him with the back tire and leave him like a bloody, like stuck to the asphalt pulp. Vicky pukes. I understand why. And then she continues her bitching.
3: (laughs) Yes, congratulations, Tiger. It's manslaughter. Go brag to this <laughs> to your NRA buddies, what you bagged in Nebraska. Like,
2: ugh. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that you just ran somebody over and your passenger turns to you and screams that that's what you wanted to do? I mean, yeah, it is intolerable what this man has to go through. And I think they should have ratcheted. It's unfair to Vicky that Bert, to me, is so low-key, that he's able to handle it, that he's able to turn to her at some point and say, there's still something about you that I love. I'm like, really? <laughs> Can you give me even a clue? I can't imagine what could still be there. They're taking this trip as a second honeymoon, I think.
3: Is
0: that what it was? I took it as like a second honeymoon chance to save their marriage.
3: He did have a shotgun with them, though. So, who knows?
2: (laughs) Yeah, who knows? But they were headed to California from wherever they were, and I don't get the sense that he was about to lose it. He endures what she puts him through, and the only way we could forgive her is if there was a turning point at some point where we understood where this anger came from where we saw why she was the way she was she never gets a sympathetic moment here it is a completely intolerable character and yeah you wish she were underneath the tires and not the kid
3: I'm cheering Bert on when he's slapping her not proud of that but she deserved it I'm never for hitting a woman but man she was so
0: crazy with venom at that point I mean something had to
3: stop her
2: yeah yeah, it's hard to imagine anything that can meet in Gatlin as being as cruel and vicious or monstrous.
3: <laughs> and Artie, you talk about the gore. What really sells it to me... This accident is pretty awful, but they go to flip the kid over, and that sound effect they use, like his brain stuck to the pavement as they flip him over, it's unsettling.
0: Oh, God, yeah. And, you know, when we started now playing all those years ago, I'm like, they killed a kid. They never kill a kid. Now I'm like, oh, they killed a kid again. But we never see it. We so rarely see a child die. It always happens off screen. To see this the way we see this, it actually because it's a child, impacted me even more. I mean, I understand it's a dummy in front of it, but, oh, this and the stickiness of his gore when they flip him, I was actually horrified. And for a horror film to do that in 10 minutes? Hey, we're on a right track.
2: Yeah, and you said something that I want to just underline here. This is the cut that is on the DVD. This is not what aired. If you saw it on TV in 2009, you didn't get all of what we got because, yeah, it's gory. It's impactful. This is a a non rated cut, independent of the television cut.
0: Yeah, I would have remembered this. This was not on sci fi. I also don't think that all of Vicky's Venom was on sci fi. I'm not sure if Gook Tits (laughs) made it to air.
3: The sensors might have had a problem with that one.
2: Yeah, we all did. But again, because we did not see the parents get slaughtered, when he's out there in the corn snooping around, we wouldn't necessarily know what he was going to find. We wouldn't know about the suitcase. We wouldn't know who's watching. They tip their hat, quite literally, when they finally put the body in the car and the suitcase in the car, drive away, and we see Isaac and Malachi, for reasons totally unknown, come out and pose in the middle of the road.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean... He- He goes into the corn, and I think that's a bad idea. I'm trying to watch this without knowledge of the short story, without knowledge of the first movie. I mean, I know who killed this kid, but if you didn't, if somehow you have never found that story and you don't know what is hiding in the corn. Either way, this army guy sees someone with their throat slit, and he says, you only live 20 or 30 seconds that way. Okay, so the killer is really close by. And he's like, you get in the car, I'm going to go look. I see blood on them, their leaves. At least he takes a gun. That's the only thing I can give him. But I would be far more worried about the killer being within 30 seconds stumbling distance.
2: And I don't remember the Nam aspect being a part of the short story, but I think it's actually, it's helpful to give these characters a little bit of added something. That we'll find out Vicky hates evangelists, that she grew up in tent revivals and such, and is just repulsed by them. We find out that he, whatever he did in Vietnam, it may have been involved killing children. He certainly knows about, yeah, slitting throats and injuries. I like the fact that these are damaged characters. I wish that they weren't so damaged, but I think it's different than when I I think about Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton making cute in a hotel room and just kind of driving by on the way to going to his practice in Seattle. There's a more ominous quality by having these characters at each other's
0: throats. And King did have Bert originally as a Vietnam vet. He was a medic in Vietnam, not necessarily an NRA buddy who would bag children in Nebraska. <laughs> he was from NAMS, so that's how he was able to identify the neck slit there as well. I didn't remember that, but okay,
2: yeah. So the original movie took the doctor part, and this one took the Vietnam vet part. All right, well, I think the new movie got it right. I think it's better to have Bert and Vicky this way, although, like I said, dilute Vicky with about 80% water because this is way too much venom way and again you want to like her at some point it's okay to hate her at first but we'll never have a turning point
3: yeah I'm asking for her to die throughout the film there's never a point where I feel sorry for her you know one of the things this film does improve on though it moves at least here at the beginning we get to the gas station I'm like oh great we're going to spend another 15 minutes at this gas station like that first film nope they stop there no one there moving on
0: Yeah, I agree with that, and it's still slow. I don't want to give the impression that this is fast-paced.
3: I don't feel it's slow at this point. There is a point where I feel it slows down, but not yet.
0: The first Half an hour, after they hit that kid, they spend the next 20 minutes driving into town.
3: Well, it takes, Vicky, 20 minutes to untie the knots on the suitcase to open it up.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, it does. And that's my problem, is we spend a whole lot of time still. They're still arguing. They're opening up the suitcase. They're finding some corn artifact. No. Corn
2: artifact. I mean, this is about as scary as an annoying orange. (laughs) Who did this? Who put the sharpie face on the cob and said, oh, this is good enough. This is the first clang that as much as they've done right here. And almost every decision, I'm like, yeah, this is better than the first one. When she opens that suitcase and we see the smiley face corn cob, it's not even a knife this time. It's just literally a crucifix with a face drawn on it made out of corn. It undermines almost every bit of atmosphere they've created.
3: And what's confusing is Vicky, well, she loses her shit over everything, but she... She loses her shit over, and she's like, get it out, get it out, blasphemy! And I'm like, I don't understand this. If you don't believe in this stuff anymore, why are you flipping out over this corn crucifix?
2: Yeah, exactly. She doesn't want to be alone, but she doesn't want to be with her husband. She doesn't believe in religion, but she's offended by this corn crucifix. She is a completely hateful, miserable character that will hate any predicament presented to her. All options end with vitriol.
0: Now, I can't say that I had any problem with the crucifix corn I mean, I didn't even see the sharpie marks on it. I don't know what was there. It just looked like corn tied to sticks to me. I didn't know why she was freaking out about it necessarily, but it just didn't bug me and make me think it was cheap. What's really funny is if you want to have just a chuckle sometime, go back and watch that scene again to see Candace McClure pretending she's trying to search through the suitcase, which is very small. She's literally just like fake piano playing her hands in that suitcase. But we see other corn with faces carved into it, and it didn't necessarily bug me one way or another. It certainly didn't scare me. I think I honestly would have preferred a corn knife or something bloody or something creepy that would have justified Vicky's reaction. But then again, Vicky's not yet had a reaction that was justifiable.
2: (laughs) Well, just think about the character that splatted on the road. Why would he take an ear of corn if he was running away from Gatlin? The point was that he was a betrayer and wanted to get away from the corn cult... I take a souvenir. But all of the hand-carved art, maybe it's that way because it's done by children, but it's horrible and it kills the mood. The slow build, it's important that if they are going to go at the slower pace, that we feel ominous creepy that corn face and, and again i just think annoying orange
0: <laughs> never crossed my mind because it wasn't superimposed and smiling but then we get introduced to the titular children we had been spending all this time with Bert and vicky and i was the preacher kid this one is isaac looks Similar in the first far shot from the kid at the beginning, and he's wearing similar clothing. I'm like, does this kid not age? Is he magical? Then we get a close-up of this new Isaac the actor. I'm like, oh, he needs braces. The other one had braces. Got it. They're different kids.
3: (laughs) Hey, I'm going to give credit to this kid. He memorizes a lot of lines for a six-year-old and delivers them. (laughs) But this is no Isaac Isaac. This is no John Franklin Isaac.
0: No, no, you could never hope for that greatness.
3: Yeah, there's nothing... I don't know. Even the way they dress him up is kind of goofy looking. He's got those shorts and that huge hat on.
0: The hat's way too
2: big. Yeah, the hat is the clincher there. I could go with almost anything else. I like the fact that they went with kids this time. I mean, last time it was 20-year-olds pretending to be teenagers. This time, this really looks like sixth graders. And the problem is, is they just... Should have kept looking for the right Isaac. Most of the other kids I was okay with. But yeah, Isaac just doesn't have any scariness. And I've seen creepy kids before. I mean, The Omen. I mean, you can do it. You can find the right child that's going to have an unsettling quality to a stare. This kid, yeah, I would take his milk money. I mean, he would never have intimidated me. (laughs) But...
3: You know, there is a Malachi here, too, and he's older. I I guess he's 18. We'll find out at the end. And that original Malachi, the, the way he delivered everything, it was just so blunt and forceful. This one's a little more nuanced. I, I never get the sense that this Malachi is, he might disagree with Isaac, but he's never planning on betraying him. He's always obedient.
2: Yeah, the last time it felt like a hateful marriage. This time we have plenty of hateful yes. marriage with the real couple. <laughs> we don't need any more disputes. Yeah, he listens to Isaac. There is never any betrayal. I don't know. He just seems like a dog. Dumb- Dumb jock, You know, he just kind of like, I'll go along with it. He's bigger. He looks more physically imposing than Courtney Gaines. But they are missing some of the skeletal scariness of the original Malachi. I do feel like there's not much about either of these two that is very scary to look at.
0: No, I agree completely. I recommended that first movie based on those two performances alone. That's how good those two were. I didn't even dare hope for anything close to this. I was interested, knowing this was coming from the same producer, I thought they'd repeat some of those beats, some of the infighting between the Children of the Corn. But no, they are, by and large, save for... A post credit scene that makes no fucking sense, and we'll talk about it. By and large, they are a unified force. This is a cult where there is no dissent. People do what Isaac says. There's one scene where Malachi appears to be questioning a little bit, but Isaac takes him to task for it, and by the end, they're praying together, and Malachi's back on track. I'm actually really glad, though, they didn't infight, because you're right, these kids look so weak. If they started to tear each other apart from the inside, then Vicki and Bert could have just driven right out of town.
2: You know, and I like the fact that there is no Job and Sarah. There are no kids here that are the good kids. They're not selling out. I think that was the intent of the director, the producer, the writer. He was like, this time, I'm going to make the kids all scary. Well, I'm not sure that they're all scary, but they all are a force of evil. Nobody here is going to ride off into the sunset with Bert and Vicky.
3: Yeah, I see how this could almost be scary. So Bert and Vicky, they get into Gatlin. Bert gets out of the car to go check out a church, and Vicky's left in That car, Isaac is standing on the roof of a building. He's doing, I don't know, sign language, hand gestures. (laughs) Thumbs up,
2: thumbs down. Yes.
3: That is scary. Like when those kids circle that car and then start beating the hell out of it, that's some good stuff. I don't know. Maybe with the right actor or better direction, those hand gestures would have come off better. But it it was kind of silly.
0: Jacob. I can't give this good action because I see those kids surround that car and I'm like, yeah, they're really gonna do something here. Finally! Because we've gone pretty quick through this conversation. I would just like to clarify we're 50 minutes into the movie. And all they've done is drive around town and the kids have kind of stalked them a little bit.
3: Which is on par for the original. But
0: I just don't want the listeners to think the pace of our conversation denotes a fast pace of the film. (laughs) (laughs) We're moving fast because ain't shit happened yet. But but when they surround the car, I'm excited cause something's finally gonna happen after a lot of, I won't say suspense, but perhaps tedium waiting for it to occur. But when they start to smash the windows of the car, I'm wishing for the excitement and scares of Disciples of the Crow, that dollar baby.
3: Yeah, nothing's ever going to surpass that. I said that with the original. <laughs> that did have the best grindhouse feel to it with that attack.
2: Yeah, $20,000 mini movie from 1983 is better than any feature film version so far. But you know where they lose me? There's a
0: Spanish guitar. It's like,
3: <laughs> yes, it's a western. I
0: thought it was a showdown. Was it a quick draw between Vicky and Malachi?
2: It undercuts everything, because I think there has been tension. You say this is a slower pace, but keep in mind, Arnie, putting on the hat that we didn't know what happened, this is all being discovered. These moments are teaching us what happened to the townspeople, because we would not have known if this were our first time in the cornfield. Now, we have seen too many other ones. It's not a surprise to us. The secret is spoiled. But to a new viewer, I don't think these scenes would be boring, because reading the books in the church and wandering around through the restaurant they're giving us new information each time
0: but they're doing so while still arguing they're giving very little information on a per minute basis i mean when he goes into the restaurant yes we find out the town has been deserted since 63 but we already knew that from the opening scene and he's only in the church starting to really discover about the purge at 19 which is when the car attacks so we finally get our breakthrough when they break through the window and vicky She's just sitting there through all this. There's a shotgun in the back seat
3: Well, she tries to use it,
0: yeah, she gets one of them after they've broken through the entire car.
3: Hey, she didn't hang out with bert's n r a buddies she That wasn't <laughs> the first thing she went to.
0: She could have had some new corn moccasins here. <laughs> She could have, and I think she
2: would have, but she, yeah, she's just inexperienced with the gun. But she gets one kid in there, and I think it was supposed to be Malachi, but he moved out of the way yeah. and let his friend take the bullet here. It should be better than it is, but at this point, I'm still gonna say, for all of its deficiencies, this is a better telling of the story than we got the last time. This director is succeeding in giving us a creepier, better paced experience.
3: And I agree with you, Stuart. Arnie, I get what you're saying. I think if you're comparing this with that original, then yeah, maybe this does feel a slow, but this didn't feel a slow to me. This felt more of a brisk pace. Maybe because it was months and months ago that I saw that first film.
2: That movie is so boring. Yeah, that original. I think you're just holding on to the fact that John Franklin and Courtney Gaines were creepy. And that one thing that they got right in that movie was that diner scene where people got their throats slit, and it was really violent and shocking. You take that away from that original movie and it would be much more boring than this movie.
0: Uh, Yeah, but sometimes I prefer a little bit of boring to caustic. I mean, I actually prefer the first movies Burt and Vicky to this couple.
3: You're not going to get any arguments there. I mean, what they do with Vicky is inexcusable here. It's just so over the top. It makes no sense. There's no justification. I was actually wondering, you know, this is in the 70s. They're an interracial couple. I'm waiting, you know, did Bert's racist grandma say something at Thanksgiving? I was wondering if there was something there that would play into why she is so awful to him.
2: You bring up something that, yeah, it, it didn't occur to me, but yeah, it, it is interracial at a time where that would have been very provocative. I would have think that any couple that was trying to make it white and black would be having problems, but the problems are internal. It's not externally. It's not society telling them they shouldn't be together. They shouldn't be together because Vicky thinks that he's a war criminal and won't give him a second not to have that thrown back in his face. I don't know that there is any subtext to the fact that this is an interracial couple. I couldn't figure out
3: any no there isn't which is shocking i thought they would play up to that
0: yeah i'm actually thinking it's just post-racial casting at this point they didn't bring it up even once they could have had the script and decided candace mcclure either was the right price or the best actress and went with that as for a subtext the only thing i can get is this now is a very strong message that if your marriage is on the rocks kids won't save it
3: (laughs) And so Burt comes out, he sees, like, I was actually wondering, we don't see them, we see Malachi make a gesture like he kills Vicky, we see the car blown up, Burt sees that, I'm wondering if they pulled Vicky out, if she's really left alive somewhere, if that's gonna be the end climax reveal
2: they leave some mystery to it we saw an axe swing and yeah what got Bert even out of the trip she was honking and he was like yeah whatever I'm not going out there <laughs> the honking didn't get him I mean she's honking the horn he didn't come out it was a shotgun that got him and the explosion you know that's what he's coming out to see here we don't know whether she was inside the car I read the original story so I figured yeah if they're going for something more cynical she's already dead but they leave that to a certain level of suspense for the rest of this movie I guess we're waiting to see whether she's just captured somewhere and on a corn crucifix like Linda Hamilton or whether she's chopped into little bits or smoldering in that remains of the wreckage
0: and I remembered how it was in the story but the fact that we saw the child run over so brutally And the fact that they kind of go back to the original Children of the Corn with that psycho kind of thing where we see the knife come down, but we don't see it hit the body. After what we've seen this movie do so far, that seemed far too tame. And so I thought for sure that she was going to come back and she kind of does, but
2: not alive. And they've also told us what's happened to the townspeople. It's worth pointing out. As he was running out of that church, he ran past a corpse. So if you were still wondering, Hey, where are the adults? Are they in the cornfield? Are they all being kept prisoner somewhere? We know at this point that they have all been killed.
3: Well, and there's a mannequin corpse <laughs> in one of the department <laughs> stores.
2: Yeah, they're not even hiding that one. It's, it's displaying the latest fashions, I think.
3: Yeah. You know, Arnie, you're saying your surprise is throwing you off because Vicky's death's not as brutal as that. Child. And you're right, like, right after this, Bert goes after the kids. He starts killing kids. He's fighting them. Now, they're the older ones, but he's, like, snapping their necks, stabbing them as they attack him.
0: Yeah, stabbing them in the fucking throat. I mean, <laughs> this is where I realize we're not supposed to necessarily like him anyway because he actually kind of goads them on. Admittedly, Isaac has a hell of a throwing arm. I mean, he probably left this film for Little Big League. <laughs>
2: That is the worst scene, the worst moment in this film. I mean, he's on top of the roof, way across the town square, and he prays to Hubie, and he's like, my aim is true, and through the magic of CGI, that little pin knife flies all the way into Bert. It's remarkably stupid, but yes, the point is, this is where all the air gets let out of the balloon. If you had any suspense about what was going to happen to this couple, he... Simply pulls out the knife, breaks it in half, and then proceeds to beat up what is obviously under 18 year age. I mean, a Vietnam vet against school kids? This is not a fair fight. He's going to win. There's no more suspense. For the rest of this movie, it's Crazy Bert beating up on children and running away.
1: I,
0: I blame this completely on Donald P. Borcher because if this was directed and cast a little better those kids would have a sense of menace and we'd really feel like Bert's defending himself. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm very shocked that I'm not rooting for Bert as he's taking these kids down. It is self-defense, but he really seems like he didn't need to go that much. He could just break their legs. He doesn't have to stab them in the throat.
3: I mean, come on. This all of a sudden turns into this weird action feel like, Bert, you better have more than kitchen knife, kitties. You better have a flamethrower. I'm actually so thrown off by where this film goes. You're right, Arnie. Like, I should be sympathizing with Bert. I should be saying, rah, 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 kill those under 18-year-old kids. Child murder, yes, that is the right thing in the situation, but I'm not. I actually was wondering if the twist of this story, this version, was going to be the Vietnam vet, like, murders an entire town of children, and he's held accountable for it. Like, the cops <laughs> show up, and he's like, they're surrounded by dead children. But
0: Like, he goes ramble and we see the
3: Yes! Goes full Rambo and like it turns into one of those things like he's the falsely accused one. It was all self defense but it's such a horrific act that he committed. Kind of like what you hear about what went on in Vietnam. I really thought that's where this might go because it takes such a strange twist all of a sudden becoming almost an action film and I'm not totally against these kids because they're casted so young. They haven't been written totally evil.
0: And the only hit they get is that one knife he throws. If Burt looked like he was taking hits and he had no Choice, it would be more heroic. We'd root for him more. Here, they can't touch him. They're outclassed. There's
2: more of them than there are of him. So, in theory, if they all had cutlery, he wouldn't be able to fight them off. But (laughs) they go one at a time. And they, you know, he can outrun them. He's got a long way to run. The next town is 71 miles away. And he's going to cut through the cornfield. And that's when I'm realizing, oh, well, this is a job for Hubie. But this is also where he relapses. I wonder if they thought about filming or if they did film, actual footage of him in Vietnam, because I think we're meant to get what you guys are saying, that he did stuff over there, he killed children over there, the gook moccasins, you know, he made them in children's sizes too.
3: I really did think they were going to flash back and then the reveal, you'd see them killing all these people in Vietnam and the reveal would be a bunch of dead children in the corn. Like, I really did think that's where they would go. <laughs> it seems so weird the way that they bring <laughs> Vietnam into this where there's soldiers shooting in the corn. And really, this is where the film lags for me. There is way too much running around in this corn.
2: You're right. They have run out of ideas. Up to this point, no problem with pacing. The next 20 minutes, big problem with pacing.
0: Yes, because again... To call it out, I was writing down the times here. He spends a total of 20 full minutes in the corn being chased by children. And they have a digression for a little bit where this little kid... Now, I watched this scene twice, and maybe you guys can help me, because there was a lot of Bert running through a lot of corn, being chased by a lot of kids in Amish clothing. But there's this little wee one, like Sesame Street set. Nahum, he's got a list. Nahum there. I mean, he looks like he's about to sing All I Want for Christmas is My Two <laughs> Front Teeth. And he's there going, Something walked past me, it left no footprints. Was it Bert, or was it he who walks?
3: Well, Malachi calls out, he says, you may be the next prophet. And what I was wondering at this point, was this supposed to be a pilot for a TV show where he'd follow the sociopolitics of these kids and Isaac getting jealous over Nahum being the next prophet? But no, I think he dies. I think Bert kills Nahum. Yeah, he snaps his neck or something. Yeah,
2: Yeah, what I got was that Malachi maybe... I was carrying some of this over from the original, but Malachi was feeling a little bit tired of Isaac, and he saw in this kid a potential replacement, that they could feed Isaac to he who walks behind the rose, and that this could be the next one to preach for the next
0: ten years until he gets too old. That's what I thought. Did this kid have a vision, though? Is he truly the next prophet or is it that he was close to Bert and Bert didn't kill him because he was so young? The only
2: one with having visions is Bert. He's having hallucinations of his war buddies shooting, which is why Nahum's death is confusing. Because when he's actually holding him and he's dying,
0: he's dying of a bullet wound. Is that what it was? It's a neck wound, but I don't know what it is. It could have been a knife. It could have been bullets. It is a bullet wound
2: and no one had any guns. We do see people firing because it's a hallucination. We see CGI bullets whizzing around. The hole is circular and it's spurting. It was a puncture. He was shot. That is what we're to believe. He had nothing to shank him with. He did not break his neck. He was shot in the neck. And that is impossible. I don't know what we're to take out of that.
0: I took it a totally different way because he had taken a knife from a previous kid. I thought he went into flashback mode and thought he was killing someone in Vietnam, one of the enemy combatants of Viet Cong. And then he came out of his flashback and realized he just stabbed this kid in the neck.
3: Which I think it would have worked better if there's some flashback to where he did kill a kid in Vietnam, and he was trying to come to terms with that, but we've seen him killing kids this whole time. He doesn't feel bad about it, so the scene doesn't even work, because it looks like he's mourning over the body of Nahum. And there's all this, the funny rules, too.
2: Like, he first ran into the cornfield and everyone stopped, and then Isaac says, go in there, and they all run in and get their
0: ass kicked. They want Isaac and Malachi. Apparently, if they go in without Isaac and Malachi, they're in danger from he who walks behind the road but if Isaac and Malachi are there
3: they're protected
2: okay but Hubie only comes out at night I mean that's what they say so I don't think Hubie is there during the day
3: and even at one point okay so there's this clearing in the middle of the corn where the blue man is on a cross they're using an x instead of the traditional crucifix here what there's some people think that's what crucifixes are really like or like the letter x but he's on this crucifix the kids come in there and then it cuts to like a dinner scene like there's some weird editing here during this whole corn chase the
0: kids take a dinner break so they could eat corn yeah it's what you said Stuart. Nighttime, they can't be out there i think the little kids anyone who's not Isaac and maybe Malachi is scared to go in the corn just because the corn is where people go to die. But they'll go if Isaac and Malachi are there. But at night, ain't nobody going in the corn and living. And so they all go, screw it. Let's go eat.
3: Yeah, but what's confusing is it shows them in that clearing in the corn. And I thought they were going to hang out there because it's getting dark. It's dust. But no, this whole dinner gathering is somewhere else. It's
2: very strange. And it had me go on a weird thought tangent where I'm like, so they literally just eat corn? That's the only thing they grow? Like, they have all this farm. Like, it's just children of the carbs?
3: They're like, that's not healthy. There are some fat kids in that group. They're eating more than corn.
0: There's eggs. I saw eggs. And yeah, there was the one fat girl who they even had... Slap someone's hand who tried to take her plate.
3: I mean... It also introduced in this dinner scene is... Is it Malachi's girlfriend slash wife? Like, they trade looks. He shakes his head saying no to something. I'm not sure what's going on. This becomes a bigger deal in the post credit scene. But there's been no buildup with this relationship.
0: No, I didn't know that they, like, had relationships or anything. This is Ruth. We'll find out at the end. That was a little bit shocking to me i don't know what he was exactly saying no to
3: were they with the ones that were supposed to be banging that night in front of everyone that's what i'm wondering
0: no you get to have
2: sex right before you get killed that's what i take it is like you get a fuck before you go to the field
3: if you're a guy though you're gonna bang a younger girl so she can at least give birth to the baby
2: right yeah she's gotta at least be nine months before her 19th birthday
0: and they do it in front of everyone, and now something has made sense to me. Because even way back in the Disciples of the Crow, there's that line from the book about the defiler of the corn. Well, now I know how the corn's getting defiled. If you've got a whole bunch of teenage boys watching two people have sex on an altar, well, they got to release that pressure somewhere.
3: <laughs> and there are some young kids watching that, and they are getting into it.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm everyone's like like it's campbell soup here yeah some <laughs> creative editing cuz i really did believe i mean they give the impression that really yeah there's a 6 year old sitting right next to i mean literally within an arm's stretch of some yeah softcore skinemax stuff going on here Who could conceive of this as a TV movie? Yeah, this had to have been an R-rated vision that they had in their head that just, when they couldn't get theatrical distribution, got shuttled out in this way. This isn't hard R kind of stuff going on.
0: Yeah, well, sci-fi isn't too afraid of doing close-up zooms of eyeballs and calling it a scene or just cutting entirely so they can fit in more commercials. Believe me, if this was on two hours of television, I only got to watch 82 minutes of this. So I don't even think I knew there was a sex scene in this. I was certainly surprised when there was a titty shot. I was even more surprised when it seems like Bert somewhere out in the corn has a climax at the same time they do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was, (laughs) uh, again, uh, there's been several strange choices, but I'm not sure. I don't think they know what to do with Bert anymore. He's won, so all he's got to do is figure out how to navigate his way back to the road. Follow the stars.
3: Now, Arnie, when we started off this Children of the Corn, you talked about a horrific event where you were lost in the corn and it was cutting you. Was it similar to what Bert was going through? He's trying to use the stars to navigate through there and he's getting cutting on the cheek I was thinking of you during this
0: that kind of was yeah I mean I was much younger I wasn't using the stars to navigate and it really it was probably a much smaller cornfield encompassing maybe four city blocks but uh, all I had to do is just walk straight for like five minutes and I'd eventually have gotten out but yeah I got a few cuts now no evil dead corn stalks wrapped around my wrists and ankles but the Cutting the lost. Yeah, that happens. And
2: they took another one of my suggestions. I mean, (laughs) did you write to them? No, 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 but I mean, I think probably a lot of people said, if you're going to have a special effect as bad as the one that they had in the first movie, don't show Hubie. Never show (laughs) Hubie. Make him like the shark in Jaws. Just have some wrestling in the corn stalks, and that's all we ever get. I think that that is better than that animated pixelated nonsense we've had for so many films.
0: Not as memorable as the big face in the sky, but not as laughable either. Yeah, we're not trying for comedy here. We're trying to pull this off.
3: Yeah, I was wondering, was this a budget thing? Did they just, (laughs) were they smart? Did they take your suggestion, Stuart? Because I was surprised we never do get a big monster. Now we'll get Vicky, she returns, and she's, what, got corn coming out of her eyes and a demonic voice, but we don't get the bad, awful, pixelated, hand-painted-on-the-cell monster here.
0: Yeah, it wasn't pixelated. They didn't have pixels in 84, folks. It was (laughs) hand-drawn. Well, here's what I would argue. You could actually read
2: this movie like the kids were just crazy. There was no Hubie. There was nothing in the field. These were Bert's Vietnam psychosis that he saw here at the end. And this little boy had everyone else believing in a mythical monster that did not exist. I think that's the takeaway here. I think this is a parallel about believing crazy zealots and their crazy mythology. I think that we're supposed to think there's no Hubie in this movie because we never see him.
0: Then I have two big questions. The first is what kills Bert. It's got to be Hubie.
2: Yeah. No, he gets thrown out, and then we don't see his death. We see him at the very last second of this film before it cuts to credits, and they've turned him into a scarecrow, but I presume that was done by the children. No, no. The way it seems to me
3: is I didn't take it that way. I took it that, yeah, Hubie got him and crucified him.
0: Yeah, and the kids say he who walks behind the rose was mad that he had to do it himself. So, unless you're thinking that after he beat up all those kids in mass. That one of them skipped out on the orgy to attack him and succeeded in killing him, then it had to be Hubie. And second of all, at the age of 19, or now because he's pissed, he lowered it to 18, the kids walk behind the rows and die. What's killing them on their birthday if not Hubie? maybe it's malachi maybe well
2: no that guy was a betrayer i was like that we saw a kid get his throat slashed maybe it was induced by the children but no he was running away i guess right
0: yeah i mean in the end this is based on a stephen king story and yes you could try to read it that way but i think the way bird is taken out by a first person camera movement how there's that little sound that little light the fact that while it could be a bit of a hallucination but the corn stalks are attacking him and the clouds are moving he thought he was a nom for
2: christ's sake i mean i don't know i'm not sold on this but it occurred to me that you could see it this way that there are multiple ways of looking at this corn whereas last time it clearly was a monster that somehow wound up in their field
3: yeah i do think the biggest shock to me is that the kids did win and i again i kind of wanted them to this seems like a more devout group to me than the other ones and so i wasn't Completely sad to see that their cult is going to continue.
2: And you mentioned TV series. This is 2009. This was an era right before they started turning every single concept into a TV series. I think they were thinking about sequel. I don't think they were thinking about series. But I think my takeaway from the post-credit sequence anyway is that if Malachi and Amos are going to die early, that they've changed the laws to punish her husband. I think Ruth is going to get a revenge. I think she's going to burn the field. I think she is going to be a defiler of the corn and an enemy to Isaac in a sequel that's never going to get made.
0: Yeah, thank God that Marvel movies have just conditioned me. I don't care if it's a movie from the 80s. Marjorie laughs at me because when the credits roll, I don't hit stop, I hit fast forward. And sure <laughs> enough, there's a post credit scene when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in to watch Malachi walk to his death and Ruth try to convince him to rebel, and she does have a vision of burning the corn and smiling as he who walks behind the rose is burned up.
3: Yeah, again, I wish their relationship was more played out in this film. It's so sudden. It's literally, it's just tacked on to the end of the film.
0: It felt as out of place as if I had a bonus feature of which there were none, and this was under deleted scenes. That's as much sense as it made we've got one more film in this franchise and my guess
2: is it does not take up any of these strands it is not a sequel to this reboot that we're never going to
0: get answers here right that's my guess as well it's called genesis Ooh, a prequel maybe or maybe it has about as much to do with the beginnings of the bible as revelation (laughs) had to do with the end
2: (laughs) yeah or any of these things it probably
0: will have nothing we'll be lucky if we get a ear of corn right i mean who knows it could be anything well what are you going to give this movie a husk, a kernel, a pat of butter, or maybe a full ear. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend the remake of Children of the Corn? Jacob.
3: I'm glad to say this is an improvement. We were on a, a sharp, sharp decline with those last few corn films. This is an improvement. You know, I put it up there with the original. This one still got problems. I don't know which one I'd prefer more. That original has some more iconic imagery and acting This one is way better paced until you get to the end and then it becomes nonsensical. And that Vicky, man, that just the writing and the the choices they took there, it's painful to watch. Just her vomit hatred throughout this entire film until she dies. But it moves quicker (laughs) than the original. So it's still not a recommend to me because the ending does lose sight. I'm willing to go with it until Bert starts running through the corn and had him Vietnam flashbacks and it lags. And I don't know. We don't get a lot of answers. it seems like they're just wrapping up production at that point. And what is Hubie? We don't know. What is the future of Malachi and Ruth? We don't know. It, it's just so abrupt. But improvement over those last few that we've watched. It, it's, I rank it up there with the original. I'd probably put this one a little bit ahead of it just because it is better paced, though it still has lagging problems. So we cannot recommend. Stuart.
2: Stewart. Yeah, this is not a green arrow by the definition I give good movies a green arrow. But it is a kernel. There's something here that's right. There's several things that are right. They've improved several things about the original. They tease the mystery better. They make all the kids evil... And we never see Hubie. There's a better pace to the first hour. But they make huge mistakes. And the mistakes they make are some of the worst of this entire franchise. I mean, from throwing the knife off the roof. And, yeah, Vicky. I mean, just Vicky alone is enough to send any movie into Red Arrow territory. An anticlimactic ending. I mean, really, they don't have a good ending for this movie. And so they just keep dragging it out for 20 minutes. I'm actually going to say the original is slightly better, but neither is a good movie. I, I wish I could combine them. I wish there was a way to merge the best of both versions. And I think you would actually get a mild green arrow. But as it is, this is only a kernel. We have yet to find an actual good Children of the Corn movie. But thankfully, there's only one more to go.
0: This is clearly the second best Children of the Corn film to me. I don't think there's any question that anything that had a number in its title or Revelation (laughs) comes anything close to the original or this one. I still think that this one isn't as good as the original. I think they both have the same pacing problems. You guys said this one wasn't as bad. I thought they both really dragged. This one drags into a slightly different place. I mean, that one dragged forever once they got to the town. This one, it's dragging some getting to the town and dragging more in the town. Is that an improvement? To me, it's a wash. So the question is, I actually gave that first one a green arrow. Is this one a recommend? It also has going for it that it is true to King's original short story. It is almost the closest adaptation I can imagine. But much like Graveyard Shift and so many others of these adaptations, when you take a short story and stretch it out to 90 minutes, that becomes painful. The closer you keep to the original story, the less you add in, the more you just are elongating a scene to five minutes that should have been two. Is this a recommend? I can't recommend this. I think I've come so close because even though we've reviewed some really great films over the past couple of months, right now, I'm in corn mindset. I'm walking behind the rows and looking at the lost crops of two through seven. And compared to them, yes, it's a recommend, but I just can't live with having a green arrow next to this movie with my name on it. It's a weak not recommend. There's stuff here to like but it's just not an enjoyable viewing experience.
2: No, it's certainly not. I'm at least thankful that, yes, I'm watching something that's not appallingly stupid, like the last couple. I mean, I barely remember them, but, God, those last couple sequels were so awful. All that I ask from this last one is that we don't go back to 666 and Revelations. Please be better than those.
0: My hopes are exceptionally low, as this came out around the same time as the only Hellraiser film Without Doug Bradley.
3: Wait, there's no sealister in here
0: you're rooting for? There's nothing in here I'm rooting for. If it's not the worst Children of the Corn film, it's a success to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, good. I- I'm glad you're not filling me with false hope. I, you know, as much as I've applauded your ability to resist logic sometimes and can't wait for next week... I can't wait for two weeks where we can talk about something that I think our listeners actually want to hear about.
0: Yeah, I really try. I try to be the now-playing optimist because of the three of us, I'm the one who enjoys schlock horror the most. I look for those kernels and water them and put them in my window for sunlight until they can grow to be green, green arrows. I try so hard to go into the next movie with a big expectation or at least an open mind. But Children of the Corn Genesis, I don't know how many people have seen Hellraiser Revelations. I tried to just boycott it for so long. I finally broke down and watched it free on Netflix streaming. And I want my time back. Desperately. And this came out. They relaunched the Dimension Extreme title. You know, Dimension had kind of been in a weird place. It closed for a while. And then it ended up going with the Weinsteins to the Weinstein Company. Disney, surprisingly, didn't (laughs) want to do this stuff.
2: They want every other franchise. Give us, yeah. Marvel, absolutely. All of this stuff. Wait, oh, this? You can have the guy with the spikes in his head. Yeah.
0: Take your corn. So... They had gotten away, especially from the Dimension Extreme label that's supposed to mean bloodier, gorier. Man, if it's anything like that Hellraiser film, we're in for hell.
2: (laughs) It'll tear our soul apart. But, uh, you know, Arnie, one day I think we're actually going to do Hellraiser franchise, so I guess we'll all give that movie's day in court. You're not done with it, unfortunately.
0: I know, but I'm just crossing my fingers. I was at a horror con just couple weeks ago they're talking about a remake we have a hope that that isn't the last hellraiser film because it would tear my soul apart to end on that note
2: agreed but uh, yeah let's not end this podcast talking about genesis let's remind folks that this friday we're also doing
0: other films yes other films leprechaun films but other films this friday we start hitting the leprechaun hard We're releasing Leprechaun 3, and we'll be releasing a Leprechaun podcast every week up until Halloween for what else could it be? Gold donors. It's true, I've been unlucky this season, although I will
2: say this, they've been more diverse than I was expecting. He goes to Vegas? Who knew? Leprechaun, not one of my favorites, but I do think that, yeah, we're finding things to
0: talk about, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, he goes to Vegas this Friday, next week he goes to space. Just think how good the Children of the Corn films could have been if he who walked behind (laughs) the Rose was
3: on Mirro. I would get excited for that, I'll be honest. Uh, Anything, get us out of these cornrows and get us somewhere else.
2: Yes, the debate about which series
0: is worse will rage on for weeks until Halloween. And you can get all seven podcasts for a donation of $15 or more between now and December 31st. You'll get the first two podcasts almost immediately and then one per week for the rest of the Halloween season. And then after that, for silver-level donors... We have the Lord of the Rings films. There's some ghosts in there and killers and some scary things. They're kind of horror, right? Oh, they're done by Peter Jackson, who
2: comes from horror. So yeah, I think we did discuss that if you're a horror fan, you might find things to
0: your liking in his vision. We're leading up to The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies. You can get that for a silver donation of $15 or more. Or if you want both into a platinum level donation of $30 or more, you get all those 13 podcasts but 13's an unlucky number so we're gonna throw in three bonus podcasts but wait there's more there's hobbit <laughs> animated films that's right if you act now bob you can get all 16 podcasts for the low donation of 30 dollars
2: will it get the stains of leprechaun out of my brain Well,
0: you can find that out this friday so Stuart jacob thank you for joining me and we'll be back next week malachi We'll be back next week.
2: I'm leaving now. I'm gonna go find some people and tell them about what's happening here in Gatlin. I don't think they'll believe me at first. I don't think I believe it myself. They will. Eventually. I guess
1: I'll
0: belong in an asylum
1: somewhere. Looney Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing.
0: Congratulations, Tiger.
1: We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty
3: you know, much all you need now that The Sopranos is dead and buried.
1: <laughs> Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on Stephen King's books and short stories. This
2: is the word of he who walks by in the rose. We do reserve for Shineshare!
1: At our sister podcast, nachos.com you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original Stephen King books and short stories on which these films are based. You should look it up. You still remember how to read, don't you? In the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Maximum Overdrive, The Mangler, Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and more. Find dozens of Stephen King movie reviews at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh, these kids watch too many horror flicks. Also at our website, you can find reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night's Deadly Night, Scream, Transformers, Robocop, and hundreds more. Movies are film- Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Catch you for one moment. Conceive of something in this universe that's larger than you. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. $200 Ah, Uh-uh,
2: Toby. How much?
0: $13,000. $13,000. Uh, okay, $2,000.
1: Now Playing's Children of the Corn Retrospective Series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie.
0: I don't want to be the one in charge when the heads start doing 360s and they're hurling pea soup.
1: Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. He filled me with the words. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now Playing Podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. That won't
3: matter to Isaac and Malachi. They'll take it as a sign.
0: To speak for the others or only for yourself?
1: The opinions expressed in now playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Nganza Media Incorporated.
0: I am the word and the giver of his laws! Disobedience to me is disobedience to him!
1: Now playing as a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2014. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. What do we do about the children? Tell their story. Let the healing begin. It's not too late for that, is it? No.
0: Directed by Donald P. Borchers. (laughs)
2: You know that's not correct. I don't know how to say it, but that sounded like an uh, offense. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't match her in anger. He's not yelling at her. And it's weird because he's the battle veteran that should have PST or, or PSTV. Um, he's the battle veteran that should have PS What is that called? PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. Okay. And I, I have dyslexia now. <laughs> um